Mario began us in our uh, sermon series for the season of Advent on the road trip that changed the world. He began our journey in um, Nazareth, Nazareth being the place where he and Mary were betrothed and um, where the uh, all the sort of the crazy stuff of the beginning of the story of, of uh, Mary's... Um, uh, being uh, that, that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and uh, the angel appears to Mary, the angel appears to Joseph. That's all in Nazareth. Um, but we need to get to Bethlehem, but we need to get there. There's a journey that happens. And today we want to talk about that journey that happens to Bethlehem because it's a journey of transformation. And we're actually going to look at two different journeys that happen in the story that we read today. And then think a little bit about how God transforms us in the journeys that we take. How many of you sometimes need a quick um, slap upside the head in order to be changed? Anyone, anyone who's the, one of those stubborn people, um, Jill put Mark's hand up over and over and over again. Um, there's those of us who need, if things are going to change in our lives, we need a quick, quick smack upside the head. And sometimes God does that, doesn't he? He, he, he changes our reality in a quick moment. Um, and all of a sudden we have to deal with some significant change. I was thinking about that um, this week uh, and thinking about something that changed the story that I was a part of many years ago. I was with a group of kids um, in Denver on a service project. We had been in Denver for a week doing um, service ministry and missions ministry with a local church in Denver and been a wonderful week of, of just seeing God move in the lives of high school kids and through in the life of this church. Um, but while we were there, we were camped just south of Denver by maybe about 35, 40 minutes. It was a beautiful reservoir that had a great camping area. Um, we actually saw balloons get launched one day while we were there. It was, um, if you've ever been on the front range of Colorado, it's just a gorgeous spot. Uh, blue, you know, blue skies, sunshine, just a gorgeous space. And we'd had a wonderful time in our campsite. Then on the last day, we were actually at the church, so that's 40, uh, 35 to 40 minutes north in Denver. We were there for our last day of ministry. We'd had a good day of doing stuff, and we were having a meal with the whole church sort of as a celebration meal together before we would head back to our campsite and, and sit around the campfire, sing Kumbaya, and do all the other stuff that you do um, when you're in a campsite with a group of high school kids. But then I got a phone call. I got a phone call from the camp mom and dad who had uh, taken care of our food for the week. Um, they were still at the campsite that day and they called me and they said, um, we got trouble. And I said, what's going on? Well, if you've ever been to Colorado, it happens, I'm sure, here too. I just don't hear about it frequently here. What had happened was called a microburst. And a microburst is a meteorological phenomenon from the weather where all of a sudden, in a split second and at a very limited location, things get crazy. And in our area where our campsite was, for the space of maybe about three miles around it, there was a massive lightning and thunderstorm for about 10 minutes that included a tornado that went through our campsite. And when I say it went through our campsite, I mean literally it went through our campsite. When we went back 
to our campsite, I can remember there's this one high school girl that I have this distinctive picture of. She's standing in front of what was her tent that's in 14 different pieces with all of her stuff, clothing, and other stuff from the week scattered to the four winds over probably a quarter of a mile in each direction. And she's just looking there like, what happened? And all of us were in that place. I'm sure I still have a couple socks sitting in a tree somewhere south of Denver. It was just one of those crazy moments. But here's what happened. After that, we've got wet sleeping bags. We've got no tents. Clothes are all over the place. We've got to figure out where we're going to stay for the night. What are we going to do? How are we going to pull this off? So we end up actually calling the pastor of the church where we had been working over the course of the week. We told him what had happened, and we asked him, is it possible for us to stay at your church? Frankly, I didn't want to have um, hotel rooms for a whole bunch of kids and try to deal with them in a hotel. I wondered if the church would work. He said, yeah, we have no real facilities like kitchen or showers or anything like that. We don't have a washer or dryer, clean clothes, but I guess, yeah, you can, you can stay at the church. So we did. And what's amazing to me is what happened at the church that night. That church that night, just because of the day and because God brought us together around this really wacky, crazy thing, the conversations that happened there were unlike anything we'd had over the course of the whole week with this group. In fact, there was one kid in particular who to this day, this is 15, almost 20 years ago now, to this day, um, he struggles with who God is and does God love him. But in that moment, I remember he was sitting there with the guitar because he always played the guitar when he would sit uh, with the group. He'd just mess around with it. And I can remember him saying, you know what? I don't know what's happening, but I know God is in me and God's doing something in me even right now. And there were other things that happened over the course of the night. And I sincerely believe that God could not have done that work in those moments with us as a group unless he sent a microburst with a small tornado to blow up a whole bunch of tents. God needed to move us in order for us to be transformed according to his will. Sometimes that happens. That's what we see here with Mary and Joseph. As we dig into God's word and see how that happened for them, let's ask for God's blessing as he guides us in our learning. Father, be present with us. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us and understand, Lord, how we are transformed by big things and beautiful things. Help us to see how you did that in the life of Mary, Joseph, and ultimately the shepherds as well. And Lord, in this story, may we wonder how it is that we respond, how it is that we acknowledge your work among us, and then what it is that we do next. Father, you're the one who's going to do that work of equipping us for what's next. We ask that you do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to be in the classic scripture passage for Christmas of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Um, if you've been watching television Christmas specials this year, um, perhaps you saw Linus recite a good chunk of this passage in front of the um, place where they were doing the Christmas program. But we'll begin this, this morning with the first three verses from Luke chapter 2. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, you've probably heard that portion of the passage many, many times, and every time you struggle over how to pronounce Quirinius, right? I mean, you've, you've probably seen that many times before. But if we don't, if we go too quickly, again, we're going to miss things. Notice that Mary and Joseph have no control over what happens to them next with how this story is told, right? We see that they're asked to move from Nazareth down to Bethlehem in order to register for what purpose? What is it? It's a census. And so they have to make that trip. Why would Rome ask for a census? Why, why would that happen? What's, what's the purpose of a census? What's that? Taxes. Greed. The whole story of Jesus coming to earth is impacted by one person's greed. Caesar's. Here's how it works. Caesar asks for a census so that he can raise taxes in whatever part of the world where there's enough people and wealth for him to get the coffers of Rome filled up and then do what Caesars do. Create buildings, edifices, monuments, and other structures that remind the world for centuries, even millennia to come, who this person was and what they did. In fact, if you go Rome today, you're going to see it. You're going to see the Colosseum built by this Caesar. You're going to see different um, parts of, of Rome and different areas of Rome with these monuments built by this Caesar. The whole purpose of that is to proclaim your own glory through your own greed by getting a census. Mary and Joseph are suddenly moved through something that isn't very, a very good thing. Greed moves them to Bethlehem. Sometimes that happens for us. We are impacted by things that are beyond our control, beyond our understanding, and don't seem so right. Does that sound familiar to any of us right now? I mean, all of a sudden, we're in a reality where this thing that, guess what? One year ago, we didn't even know the word COVID existed. And now it's changing everyone's life. And we have no control over it, right? We have no ability to heal the disease. We have no ability even to speak to some of the things that are coming down that we're supposed to live into. We have no ability in how our kids are dealing with their education because it just seems like these things are so far beyond our control. All of a sudden, out of really bad things, our lives are altered. How, how do we respond? How do we deal with that? We see Joseph and Mary have to make the trip. So they do. Let's read about the trip. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them in Bethlehem. So we read that, but if we read again too quickly, we miss something. We read these words. Um, 
we read in verse four, it says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. We read that. Means he moved, right? He went from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The only problem is, is it doesn't quite work like that. Like we think, okay, if you were gonna go to downtown LA, right, you would just simply, you, I mean, we could probably, someone could do that now. Just get in your car, get onto I-10, head east, deal with all the traffic, you got the fast track, you're gonna be a little bit quicker, and you can get there probably in about 45 minutes to an hour depending on traffic, not a big deal, right? The only thing is that this was a very big deal. Mary and Joseph have to make a journey of about that same travel from here to downtown LA. It's about 60 miles maximum. But they're walking. It's a fraught road, meaning there's lots of twists and turns. It's not an interstate. It's not straight and easy to walk on. It's a very difficult space. It's also fraught with dangers. And Mary is at least six months pregnant. Now, those of you who have been moms and gone through pregnancies, how much you want to walk when you're six months pregnant? Probably not more than a, maybe a couple hundred yards at a time, right? This is something, how long, how long, in fact, how long would you think it would take you to walk to downtown LA? How many think you could do it by midnight tonight? I can tell you this, Russ might be able to pull it off because he's a runner. He would just keep jogging. He might be able to make it to downtown LA by midnight tonight but very few of us could. How many of you think you could make it by tomorrow if you kept on walking? Eh, probably not. Maybe on Tuesday? Maybe? Maybe on Wednesday? Some of you would say, I ain't making it until the new year. I get it. I understand. Right? It's going to take you some time. Now imagine you're six months pregnant. Now imagine it's a rocky road. Now imagine that you have to look around every corner and wonder if somebody is going to come up and try to steal your stuff. It's a hard journey. And they're not doing it as a couple who has this strong, incredible marriage who they know how to navigate all the challenges of life. They're not like the Mercers. They're like a new couple that doesn't know how to do things yet. In fact, they're not even really husband and wife. They haven't been together physically. We already know that. And they, Mary's very young, probably 14, maybe 15 years old. And they're dealing with all these extraordinary... Can you imagine what conversations they might have had along the way? What did it look like? Could you imagine? If you're Joseph, you're the guy. And you're looking over and you just look over and you see the bump. And you're like, um... Can you tell me about that again? How, how did that work? How, how did that happen? Because you can imagine his his mind. He's thinking that. I mean, this is his wife, and she's pregnant. It's not through him. She says it's through the Holy Spirit. How is that? I mean, he's wondering. And she's standing there, and she's saying, well, I was sitting in a room, and there was this, this, this thing. And it was a being, and it spoke to me, and it said, do not be afraid, but it was light, and when it spoke, it rattled my spine almost, because it was so powerful and had such, just, it was amazing. And it told me that I was going to give birth to the Messiah. 
Can you imagine some of the conversations that these folks, they had no idea how to interact with each other. So this journey, which is a, a, a journey of already at least a week, if not more, becomes even more fraught because they're not sure who each other is. I imagine that by the time they got to Bethlehem, there had been some change even in each of them and in their relationship. In fact, here's what I think. I think they went in Nazareth from the known and safe to the unknown. They knew what things were like in Nazareth, but now all of a sudden you're in a place where you've got to have faith and you've got to have trust in each other and in God. You move from family to strangers, strangers enough that there's no room for you anywhere in any of the places. Even though it's Joseph's family, there's no space for a pregnant woman to have her child. From the independent, Joseph has work as a carpenter, to the dependent, dependent even enough to have a stable for a place to stay. From the fear of God, Mary is in this place where the angel speaks to her and she almost trembles at the voice of God's word by the end of the passage, cuddling the savior of the world in her arms, intimacy with God. And from inexperience to maturity, I have a feeling that when we hear in the passage, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She pondered them, having gone through with the things that taught her deeper faith, deeper trust in God, and deeper belief in herself. This journey changed the both of them. Out of, out of this thing that they had no control over, they changed because they had to. But there's another trip, another journey. Let's look at that journey as we read from verse 8. It says this there, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So here's another move that happens right now. The shepherds at the beginning of the story are outside of Bethlehem. And it's one of those pictures. It's one of my favorite pictures of all of the Christmas story. I'm just imagining a couple rough and tumble shepherds. These are probably people in their late teens. And you can imagine teenagers around the campfire, what might get talked about and what they might do together. And hey, I dare you to do this. Hey, watch this. You can imagine some of that sort of stuff going on. And then all of a sudden, there's a light. And one of those beings... One of those things, you can't quite describe it. You can't quite grab onto what it is. And it shows up and it says those words again, do not be afraid. You can imagine these teenage boys going, oh, ah. And they hear the story. We give you great joy, good story. In Bethlehem, just over the hill, a little ways, Savior, Christ the Lord. You'll see him. 
You'll see him and you'll know because he's in claws and he's lying in a manger. And you can imagine them sitting there and probably over the course of moments, the awe, because in the same way, the angel is speaking to them. Their spine is rattling. You ever had that moment where you're hearing or witnessing something and you can feel your body begin to turn electric? I'm sure that's exactly what happened to the shepherds as the angels began to spoke. But then all of a sudden it gets better. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of these exact same beings start to do cartwheels, start to look like fireworks in the sky, start to do these beautiful things, and a sound comes, an indescribable sound. Chanting, singing, beauty, is it a choir? Is it an orchestra? We're not really sure, but it's this beautiful thing, and it hits them with the wonder of God, and you can imagine these teenage boys standing there going, oh, of how beautiful it is. Sometimes that's what happens, is that we are in those moments struck by the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of God, and when we're in that moment, it's something we want more of. That's what moves us too, isn't it? Some of you know that story from the 80s and the 90s with promise keepers, right? You went through a promise keepers thing, experienced what it is that you experienced and said, I want more of that, and you'd go back next year. Some of you know that in women's conferences or worship events or in River of Worship every Saturday night or every month. Years ago, we used to have that. It was those sorts of experiences. I want more of that. That's what the shepherds experience. That's what moves them. And so they go. And they make the trip. But you know why the angels appears to the shepherds? Because the messengers of God wants some more messengers. That's the purpose of going to the shepherds. The angels who are God's messengers to the people come down and say, now we need new ones. And it's gonna be you. It's gonna be you, you goofy, uh, dirty, smelly teenage boy sitting around the campfire. You're gonna be the one to tell the story. And we hear how they respond to the message that the angel gave to them. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God, for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the angel shows up, says to the shepherds, go. But we see that they don't just go, there's a couple components to how the shepherds go. First they go intentionally. They say, let us go. Let's go to Bethlehem, verse 15. They are also saying, let us. It's unanimous. So it's intentional, it's unanimous, and it's urgent. They don't wait. Not only do they not wait to go to Bethlehem, but after they've seen the child and bore witness to the glory of God in the manger, they don't even wait to go and tell others about who Jesus is. What does it say there? They say there, it says in verse 17, when they had seen him, they go, they witness, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And then we hear in verse 20, then the shepherds returned. So they don't even go home. 
They don't even go home and check on mom and dad and see how brother and sister are doing. They don't even go home to get some food or make sure that the sheep are okay. They go see the baby and then go, whoa. God is amazing. God is full of glory and beauty. And his creation is so incredible that we can't go back to where we were before in the same way until we let the world know who Jesus is. And God gives us that beauty, doesn't he? He has shown up. How many of you would say God has shown up in my life somewhere, somehow, some way? Okay, you're going to say that. You're going to be able to tell me the story. But I'm going to remind you of something. God has shown up. Look at this. We, in the first week of December, are in this, in our shirt sleeves. Some of you are in shorts. What a beautiful evidence of God's glory and beauty and presence in our lives. God bless those of us who can live in California. Amen? Amen. Because I was just in Michigan, not so much. (laughs) You've seen the glory of God right now. What are you going to do? Are you going to go home this afternoon? Maybe watch the O'Brien funeral on live stream, turn on some football, and then get ready for the week ahead? Or are you going to immediately, out of the beauty of what God has given you, out of the glory of God that he's shown to you, out of the way he speaks to you through his grandeur, through his word, through his worship, are you going to be a person who carries the story, who says like the shepherds, whoa, This is a story we're telling. We got people we know who need to hear it. Something has happened. God has shown up, and we can't wait to tell the world about it. Friends, this Christmas season, are we going to have that sort of urgency, unanimity, and intentionality that the shepherds did as we shared the story? Here's something we know. When it comes to hope, Sacramento doesn't give it, right? City Hall can't give it. Washington can't give it. Our media can't share it. There is no expert, there is no thing out there which gives us the hope and the beauty and the glory that we need except for Jesus. That's what Christmas reminds us of constantly. The question is, as we celebrate it, especially this time of the year, when the rest of the world can say, Merry Christmas, whether or not they say it willingly or not, they they can at least hear it. As we have that opportunity to speak the name Christ even in a greeting, how is it that we are going to carry the story? How do your Christmas celebrations change? Is it just because I know we long for it, right? We love the gathering. We love the spending time with family. We love the goofy gift exchanges. We love all the things. Maybe drive around and see the Christmas lights. All good things. Beautiful, awesome. Sit and and watch the Christmas story as we all do as a family on Christmas Eve. Good stuff. Where do we carry the story? How do we carry the story? Let me put it that way. How do you carry it? Maybe at your family gathering, just simply say, here's what I see God doing in our family or in my life. 
Maybe it's making sure that you share a Christmas post that say, this is what God is doing in me even right now. Do that on social media. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But I do know that the shepherds found a way to share the story. That the shepherds, out of what they saw in the beauty and the grandeur of this angels and manger and baby and all the stuff, they found a way to share the story because when you see God's beauty and God's glory, you can't help but share it. Is that something that compels us? Because it should. Angels came to create more messengers. That's what the shepherds were. Guess what? We're as messengers too. Every single one of us carries the great commission. Go therefore, preach my gospel to every creature. Go baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have told you. Friends, we're the messengers. Let's carry the message during this Christmas. God is good, amen? Let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, for being present in us, being the one who transforms us. And sometimes, Father, it feels like you transform us in the tornado, that the campsite gets blown up and we don't know what to do next. Sometimes, Lord, you transform us through your glory, the sound of thousands of angels singing your praise. But regardless of how it is that you show yourself and transform us, Lord, you continue to bring us back to the place where we can trust, where we can know, where we can believe, we can love Jesus. Equip us to that end. And then, Lord, equip us through the power of your spirit to carry the story to those who need to hear it in the world around us through this Christmas season, in this COVID season, in this season of life. Lord, the world needs to hear your story. Equip us to share it. Give us the wisdom to know when to speak, when to listen, when to be still. And when we speak, Lord, we speak with your words, with boldness, trusting, Lord, that you will do the work of carrying that story to the hearts and the minds of those who need to be transformed by your grace. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.